What is the scariest story you know that is 100% true? I would call it creepy more than scary, but my mom's friend had a small house and lived alone. She noticed weird things a batch of soup depleting faster than usual. Missing eggs, damp towels in the hamper when she hadn't used any, extra dishes in the dishwasher, etc. This went on for months. She thought she was just being forgetful. One day she heard some thumping around in her attic and went to investigate. She found some makeshift living quarters, small radio, hot plate, sleeping bag, pillow, food wrappers, etc. She called the cops who came to keep an eye on the place. They ended up catching a homeless man climbing a tree, trying to sneak into her attic window. He had been doing this almost daily. He would wait for her to go to work, then go downstairs and help himself to food and amenities. The funny part about this story is they got to know each other throughout the ordeal, and the guy was actually very respectful. Just down on his luck, she didn't press charges. Instead, let him move in helped him get a job, and he lived in the attic until he got back on his feet. Creepy shit with a happy ending. My mom was driving, and a guy ran out in the road, so she stopped so she couldn't hit him. It was night time, so it was pretty dark out, and three other men emerged from the forest around, all trying to use the door handles of her car to get in. She locked them luckily, and gassed it to the nearest town. Remember to always lock your car after you start it, because if it wasn't unlocked who knows what would have happened to her. Neshaber train disaster is something that reminds me how death can come at any moment. A train with 51 wagons of sulfur, fertilizer, petrol and cotton wool somehow broke loose and rolled down the track about 20 kilometers until it derailed in the town of Qayyum, Iran. There were no humans on board, chemical leaks ensued and authorities tried to extinguish whatever fires broke out. At one point, the whole thing explodes, and it really explodes. The whole town of Qayyum is literally demolished. Three nearby towns are badly damaged and it was heard 70 km away. The wreckage continued to explode for several days after. Around 300 people died and more than that injured. An earthquake of 3.6 on Richter scale was produced. A female friend in college disappeared from a party at another university in the city town 25-ish miles north of our school. She had arrived with another friend who I believe had driven. At some point she split off to play cornhole or something and was later inexplicably gone. Phone calls went to voicemail. Police were called, but she was simply missing. About 10 days later she was found by a homeless man who witnessed her crawling up to a bus stop in the city, begging for help. She had broken a leg and an arm, and was in very bad shape. At the quite large party she had her drink secretly drugged and was then led off by a group of men into their vehicle. She was taken to an apartment where she was drugged, repeatedly raped, and locked in a small room in between with a bucket to use as a bathroom. At one point after being injected with heroin and raped, she somehow managed to convince one of her captors to allow her to use the actual bathroom to clean herself up. This bathroom had a small window to the outside, and with the shower running, she managed to squeeze out and fell from the third story into a large hedge bush. From there she crawled from the apartment complex to the road and bus stop, where the homeless man saw her and called police. Many cars stopped upon seeing her, making her captives unable to recapture her. Three men were later arrested for the crime after surveillance. Cameras allowed police to locate the apartment which she jumped from. She returned to our university almost two years later, graduated, and became a nurse. She was obviously traumatized, never partied again carried a gun everywhere she could, and somehow moved on with life. It was a terrifying tale none of us ever forgot. She was an 18-year-old freshman when the incident happened. 
Before my dad died, he once told me a story from when he was in Vietnam in the 1960s. He told me about a mission where he and one other American with five SIV striker South Vietnamese villagers turned fighters were tasked to emplace seismic ground sensors along a trail network deep in the jungle. He said they were about two days into the mission when he and two of the strikers split off from the main group to go watch a nearby trail intersection. He said the jungle was pretty quiet that day. Just the sounds of birds and bugs and an occasional monkey. He said they had been watching the trail intersection for about three or four hours and were deciding on whether to move further down the trail or to turn back and link up with the rest of the patrol. Before leaving the cover of the brush my dad said he checked the trail ahead of them one last time and prepared his men to move. Now here is where the story gets interesting and he told this part with absolute dead seriousness. He said just as he started to step out onto the trail he sees a light-skinned black Union cavalry soldier in full battle gear laying alongside the trail just shy of the intersection. My dad said the Union soldier had two pistols, a Spencer rifle and a short curved club at his hip. As my dad was trying to process what he was seeing, the soldier looked directly at him and smiled. Then the soldier slowly placed a finger up to his lips as if to tell him to be silent and then motioned my dad back off the trail. My dad said he signaled for his men to remain hidden and he recalled that as he slipped back into the jungle on one side of the trail, the Union soldier did the same on his side of the trail. Less than 10 seconds later he said the lead element of a group of NVA North Vietnamese Army soldiers walked right through the trail intersection some 30 feet away. My dad estimated that the group was comprised of some 70-80 soldiers equipped with automatic rifles, light machine guns and rocket-propelled grenade launchers. He has no doubt that his entire team would have been wiped out on the spot. He said as soon as the enemy soldiers had passed, he and his team beat feet out of there as fast and as quietly as they could and rejoined with the rest of the patrol. He reported the enemy soldiers his team had encountered, but decided not to say anything about the soldier he had seen. My dad kept this secret for many many years only telling me just before he passed and earlier only telling his grandmother on her deathbed in the 1970s. He said when he told his grandmother, she smiled and without opening her eyes told him, you saw old Red Tom. Red Tom was my great great grandfather. He was a half black half creek free man who was a scout for the Union Army during the Civil War and later served with the US cavalry in the American West. He was known for carrying two pistols, a Spencer rifle and a creek war club into battle. My friend's boss bought an Audi A4 convertible. Back when they were new and interesting, one of the talking points was the pop-up roll hoops that were hidden unless you rolled it. A few months after buying it he got to test those roll hoops out. As he lost control and skidded down a steep bank about 10 male 35 female deep, the roll hoops did their job, and he survived with just cuts and scratches from the bushes he'd plowed through. The car ended up the right way up and he got out, walked back up the bank to the side of the road, then got on the phone to the police to report the accident. While he was standing there a driver from a car that had seen the accident came over to speak to him. Approaching from behind the other driver asked if he was okay. My friend's boss turned around to reply and dropped dead. His neck had been fractured, but was in one piece right up until he turned his head. When it severed his spinal cord. Various torture murders are probably the most horrific things I've read about. Junko Furuta, who was a perfectly normal girl until she was kidnapped off the street by a gang for no reason purely wrong place, wrong time. According to Japanese sources and unimaginably raped and tortured to death over 44 days, Kiki Camarena, a DEA agent in Mexico who was kidnapped by the Guadalajara cartel and tortured to death over about three days. His story is the central focus of the show Narcos Mexico, but from what I've read, his death was even more brutal than what they make it out to be. A detail consistent in both is that they brought in a doctor to revive him numerous times when he got too close to death and keep him conscious so he couldn't pass out from the pain. Kellyanne Bates, who was groomed from a young age by a scumbag who eventually killed her slowly over the course of about a month in their apartment. 
Her injuries were so horrific the jury at the guy's trial had to get counseling. For example, her eyes were missing and there were stab wounds in the sockets. Sylvia Likens, whose parents left her in the care of a woman who both personally and with the help of her children and their friends degraded, tortured, and killed over over several months. The Hello Kitty murder in China, where a man and his about 13-year-old LD girlfriend kidnapped a prostitute who had supposedly stolen from him even though sources say she had paid him back with interest, tortured her to death, and then stuffed her corpse into a Hello Kitty toy. Baby Brianna, a newborn whose mother, father, and uncle tortured and raped her from the second they brought her home from the hospital until the second she died. Baby P, a British toddler whose mother let her boyfriend torture him to death. His back was broken in his last days of life. Honestly, there are just so many horrifically on par with each other. You could list them all day. Not as scary as some of the stories here. But I was pretty horrified when my dad told me the story. There are some really big houses in the woods in my hometown. One of the owners went out drinking with his buddies and realized he forgot the key to the gate when he got home. So he decided to just climb the gate. While climbing in his drunken state he slips and his leg gets pierced by one of the spikes on the gate. He was hanging there but too afraid to call for his wife. Since he was sure she would just open the automatic gate from inside the house and since it was one of those gates that slides to the side it would just rip his leg off if she did. He was hanging there the entire night until his wife woke up, saw him and called the fire department. My dad who was one of the firefighters that showed up said they had to saw the spike to get him off. Just imagine hanging from your own gate all night not being able to call for help. When my aunt was about 16 she was working at a grocery store and had a boss in his mid-twenties. One day he called the house and was begging her to sneak out and hang out with him. She was considering it because it was her boss and she didn't want to say no my mom, who is two years younger than her, always gets these incredibly spot-on gut feelings. She had won the night and begged my aunt not to go out with him. Thankfully she listened to my mom and told him no which made him really angry. He ended up going out that night and meeting another girl. He took her out to some cliffs and raped her and pushed her off. Somehow she lived through this and was able to get him sent to prison. I feel so sorry for that girl and so thankful for my mom and her gut feelings. Always trust your gut. 100% true as it happened to me. It's probably more spooky than scary. I'll let you be the judge. Many years ago, before there were cell phones we had these things called pagers strapped to our hips. Someone would page you with their phone number and you would call them back when you got to a phone. As an on-call technician working in the audiovisual field, my pager would go off all the freaking time. Like most people who used pagers, our clients knew that if you followed up your number with A911, that would indicate to the technician to stop what they were doing and call right away. Although I was always busy I rarely if ever got 911s. One afternoon traveling from Orlando to St. Petersburg via Interstate 4, my pager goes off with a number I don't recognize, followed by the 911. I find the first exit and pull into a little truck stop looking place outside of Plant City to use the payphone. This takes maybe 3 minutes tops. I walk in, ask for some change and head to the wall where there are 4 payphones to choose from. I pop my quarter in and dial the number displayed on my trusty pager. It rings and rings and rings and rings. I am thinking to myself WTF, who would page me with A911 and not answer their phone. It's just about then that I notice another ringing sound in addition to the one in my ear. I pull the handset from my ear and two phones over on the wall another payphone is ringing but with an incoming call. I hang up by the handset and the ringing stops on the other phone. I walk a few paces over, pick up the handset and look at the phone number printed above the buttons. I look at the number on my pager. I look at the number on the phone. I look at the number on my pager again. I look at the phone again. Except for the 911 they're identical. I kinda lose my breath for a second and then I make my way over to the girl at the counter and ask if she saw anyone use the payphone. She said I was the, the only person in the store in the last hour. 
The whole episode probably took 15 minutes, but man, I was freaked out. The hair on the back of my neck was standing straight up and I just wanted out of there. I get about 10 miles down the highway and come upon a scene that looked like a bomb went off. Point four car pile up involving a tractor trailer hauling a load of steel that had come loose. State troopers and paramedics just arriving. I pulled over to the side and helped the best I could but it was all pretty much over once it began. I have no idea why I got that page or from whom or what but I am convinced that if I hadn't, I would not be alive to write this today. I worked for U-Haul when I was 18 and it was located in front of a club that was known for being really sketchy. I came in to open one morning and it was common for people to knock on the door hoping to get in early and get their truck. On this day, I hear frantic knocking on the door. I am there alone still so it kind of startled me. I look and there's a woman completely naked, covered in what looks like blood. I called the cops and grabbed one of the moving blankets and went outside to cover her up. She smelled really bad and was a mess. Ended up being blood and her own shit she was covered in. Found out later she was drugged at the club that night early. Morning, raped and left blacked out in the alley. It was just a ducked up and surreal situation to be involved in. My friend tripped and fell onto the tracks, landing his face onto the third rail. We kinda stood there in absolute shock because we thought he was dead. But then he said, can I move? Will I be electrocuted? We told him to move instantly and he did. We got him off the tracks. And no less than two minutes later a train went zipping by. I think the third rail turned on seconds after his face came off of it. I know that's not scary to a lot of people, but to me it was because I would have lost a close friend back when I was about 12. I was in a crappy motel. The room had bed bugs. I was too exhausted to go to the front desk. I just needed to make it until the morning. I slept in the tub. Hours later I hear someone breaking through the window. I had a big knife with me and ran out into the room to find a man halfway through my window. We stared for a while at each other in shock. I think we both were scared. Then he says, is this your room? I am like, yes, this is my room man. More staring. Then he slowly starts backing out while cursing me for leaving my window unlocked and not expecting him to break in. Motel on Wadav, Sacramento. Old janitor from high school, friendly Ecuadorian man who went by Ping. Worked at the school for 20 plus years and nobody had a problem with him. I guess his wife was leaving him and in the process of moving out. He caught her in bed with her new man. Next day, in the middle of town, he opened fire on her. The man and then killed himself before any cops had time to respond. The story of Mary Vincent always stands out to me. In 1978, 15-year-old Mary was hitchhiking. A man named Lawrence Singleton picked her up. He brutally raped her and eventually made her get out of the car. She planned to run, but he noticed and cut both her arms off. He threw her into a ditch ravine and left her to die. She packed her stumps with mud to stop the bleeding and spent all night crawling out. She eventually makes it to the highway and starts walking, naked and covered in blood. The first car that saw her sped away in fear. The second car was a couple on their honeymoon. They picked her up and she survived. Added it to add I was in a rush when I wrote this. So you should definitely read more into the story. It's crazy. From the horrific act itself, to the court proceedings, to the fact that he hardly served any time. The part of this story that ducked me up was she tried to run. He grabbed her by the arm and turned and hacked her with the hatchet. She said she watched as her dismembered arm clung to his forearm after he separated it. I've posted this before, but mine when I was a baby. My dad played on a softball team. Typical social team. Out for beers and pizza after with the guys. Family event type thing. My parents were good friends with two of the other couples. Both of them had young kids as well. On this occasion, the other two couples had left their kids at one of their houses. With a babysitter they were splitting. They invited my parents back to the house to have some more beers that night. 
but I was being fussy and my mom nixed the idea though they would 100% have normally gone back to hang out. Well, it turned out my fussiness on that day saved our lives. When the other parents got back to the house, they walked in on a home invasion. Two men had broken in, tied up the kids and the babysitter and her boyfriend, and were waiting for the parents, took the parents hostage as well, and made the dads drive with them to banks or grocery store where one dad was manager and clear out accounts a safe. They then came back to the house and slaughtered both families, the babysitter and her boyfriend, kids included. They caught the two guys later on. My dad attended the trials and said it was the first time he had ever had thoughts of supporting the death penalty. It still gives me chills to know how close we came to getting killed that day. 2. Edit Wow. You guys are amazing detectives. I have been telling this story for years and this is the first time I have been made aware that it wasn't me as a baby. It was my sister 9 years older. Born in 72, my dad has been telling me this story wrong for as long as I can remember. Sorry for the confusion. All. Carol DeRanche was at a shopping mall in Salt Lake City in 1974 when she was approached by a man claiming to be a police officer. He said that someone had tried to break into her car and asked her to come with him. He then said he would drive her to the police station and she got into his car. However, this guy was not a police officer and he did not drive her to the police station but rather, pulled into a parking lot. He then cuffed her, pulled out a gun and threatened to kill her if she resisted. Only, he messed up. He meant to cuff both of her wrists but only managed to cuff one. She escaped and fought him off despite being hit over the head several times. Her kidnapper was Ted Bundy. He killed another woman just four hours later. Her escape also helped identify Bundy and she is part of the reason he was eventually arrested. I used to run the boilers in a dough building. Apparently at some point in the 80s, three people were murdered over involvement in a big VCR theft. VCRs meant for the school system had apparently been stolen out of this warehouse. It was an inside job. Something went wrong the head custodian was found shot to death. And later the bodies of the other two were reported buried in Monticello but word is, they had first been incinerated. In the boilers I was in charge of operating and maintaining. There were three operational boilers, and one that wasn't in service no clue which one was supposedly used. But when you're firing them up, you're typically the only person in the building not a single day. Went by that I fired them up and didn't wonder which one was used. But that wasn't what gave me the real heebie-jeebies. You have to clean the interior of these boilers really well. Otherwise the fire won't transfer heat to the water very efficiently especially with six oil. These boilers would build up a lot of soot. You have to suit up in a Tyvek suit, wear a mask, and climb right into the firebox. I found myself staring down the business end of that burner many times, wondering what that panic would feel like. I'm reasonably sure these people were dead before getting put in the boiler though. Once, I was actually in one boiler while another one was running the valve that isolated my boiler from the main steam line wasn't holding. And by the time I realized how warm it was getting, it was enough to panic trying to lift myself up and belly crawl through the small opening. The metal was almost too hot to keep my hands on for a long, definitely creepy experience, considering the history of that boiler room. Years ago when I was 8 my family lived in this big weird house kind of on the edge of a small town. The school district was in the middle of a big restructuring so even though we were only a couple grades apart my brother and I went to different schools and took different buses. This left me as the last person to leave in the morning and the first person to get home in the afternoon. Which meant it was my job to make sure all the lights were off and the door was locked. One morning I noticed the basement door was open and the light was on so before I left I turned off the light and closed the door. When I got home that afternoon the light was on and the door was open again. I just assumed that I'd forgotten to actually take care of it when I noticed it in the morning so I 
went over to turn off the light and close the door. When I got to the top of the basement stairs I looked and there was a big shadowy male figure towards the bottom of the staircase. I freaked out, slammed the door and pushed a bunch of boxes against it and then went and hid in my closet. For months I didn't tell my family because I was positive what I had seen was a ghost and didn't think anyone would believe me. Then about a year after that incident my mom and her boyfriend realized that small amounts of money had been going missing for months totaling around 800-900, but never more than 60 at once. So we all walked around the house with flashlights trying to figure out how they could have gotten in. Turns out some creep was climbing in through a small hole in the outside of the house shimmying through a crawl space then coming up into the house through the basement realizing i had been alone in the house with him on at least one occasion was one of the worst most terrifying moments i've ever had edit whoa this blew up way more than i expected i'm doing my best to respond to comments questions sorry if i end up missing yours this is a hometown story that stayed with me. It happened literally right around the corner from where I grew up, maybe a two-minute drive away. Judy Kirby murdered six children and one adult by intentionally driving the wrong way on a divided highway in an attempt to commit suicide. She had been hospitalized for depression but had also just ended a relationship with her ex-husband's brother and was by some reports involved in drug trafficking and fearing an imminent arrest. She picked up her sister's son, who was celebrating his 10th birthday that day. She then loaded her three children into the car, supposedly to pick up a gift for the nephew. Instead, she went, missing with the carload of kids. A short time later, calls started coming into 911 about a car going the wrong way down the highway at a high rate of speed. They made it about 90 seconds before head-on collision with another vehicle, driven by a father with two children and another child along for the ride. The crash annihilated both vehicles. The only survivors were Kirby herself, and the child who was along for the ride in the other car. There were pieces of children all over the highway. She was sentenced to 215 years in prison. How do people do shit like that? My grandfather was an engineer architect for US Steel through the early 70s. One day a co-worker who was getting divorced brought his young son and young daughter for a tour of a steel mill, proceeded to bypass the admittedly lax security of the 60s, picks up his kids and jumps, with them, into some molten steel. People that kill kids are horrifying, but parents who kill their own kids, Jesus, added my grandfather never shared any more of the story than what I described, didn't think he would have, but checked with my dad, who, also asked what happened, grandfather said they got rid of didn't use that batch of steel, whatever that means. When I was in 4th grade, we had buddy classes with 1st graders to help teach them how to write and read properly. My buddy was Cameron Bell, a 6-year-old blonde boy who was a bit quiet but loved to draw angry birds. One morning, I came to school and my teacher was in tears. A police officer in the room beside her. As we sat down after the bell rang, we were told that due to an unfortunate series of events Cameron had passed away. After school, I rushed home to find out that due to the loss of his mother years prior, his father took him to the nearby church and shot him in the head before shooting himself. I still shake thinking about Cameron, and the innocence that was taken. I missed his messy handwriting and angry birds drawings. It's been nine years since the tragedy, and his smile still haunts me. Link to the article. Told this here before but once more. My friend had this neighbor who was a retired mechanic. They lived on some properties with large front lawns and long driveways. His neighbor had a couple derelict cars parked up near his garage that he took parts from occasionally. This neighbor of his started hearing noises while sitting in his living room, coming from his front yard. Every time he'd go to the window, there would be nothing there. He assumed it was a raccoon or a coyote or whatever. He kept hearing the noise so he'd go outside to look around but would find nothing. He'd put out traps and occasionally catch something. Yet the noise persisted. Soon, 
He started claiming that he was hearing voices coming from the front yard, like whispering. He'd go outside and look around the perimeter of his property but would find nothing. It was persistent so he'd started calling the cops. Every time the cops came and looked around and would find nothing. So they told him he needed to stop calling them for this. And perhaps get a security camera or whatever. So this guy thought he was losing his mind. One summer evening he couldn't sleep. So he went to the back patio to smoke a cigarette. Suddenly, he heard voices coming from the front of his house. He put his cig out and snuck around to the front and got there just in time. To see the doors to his derelict conversion van silently shut. He ran back to the backyard and went inside his home and called the police to tell them what he had seen. The police arrived and approached cold that is without lights sirens and when they approached the van, the doors swung open and a bunch of people ran out in every direction. Upon searching the van, the cops found syringes and paraphernalia and determined that people were shooting up in there. My dad and some friends got drunk and went for a drive on some back roads and were going as fast as the truck would go as teenagers. My dad was slightly less drunk than the others and eventually demanded they let him get out. They pulled over and he and one other girl got out. He and the girl started walking to town while the other three sped off in the opposite direction. Well less than a mile up the road from where they got out is an extremely sharp turn. Which they missed and hit a tree going pretty close to triple digits miles per hour. Two of them died on impact and the only reason a third survived is because they crashed in front of a house that two doctors lived in. The survivor was paralyzed and lost his leg and part of his arm and was in the hospital for eight months before dying. This was in the 60s so medical care wasn't what it is today. When I first got my permit my dad took me to that corner to explain the importance of safe driving. It gave me goosebumps about how close he was to being in the truck. He said that the dad of the driver got what remained of the truck to be hung up in the center of town for months after to be a warning to all. That's terrifying. I missed a situation like this years ago. Was hanging out with a buddy at the bars and we leave to go back to his place for some smoke and video games. His roommate comes home from work he was a bartender and tells us he's heading out to the bars and asks if we want to go. He'll drive. We go back and forth but eventually decide to stay in. Turns out, the buddy had been drinking heavily at work but we couldn't tell. He ended up flipping his jeep off of an overpass and dropping 20 plus feet. The entire back of his jeep where I would have been sitting was crushed into the back of the front seat. The roll bar was smashed into the passenger side. Buddy ended up getting some serious brain injuries and spent the next few years learning how to walk and talk again. He's still pretty often much different than he used to be. My other buddy and I came very close to a similar or worse fate. John List killed his whole family wife, mother, daughter and two sons. He meticulously planned the whole thing cancelling all delivery services, excusing the kids from school, and even turned the air conditioning as low as possible to preserve the bodies for as long as possible. After he killed them all, he placed the bodies in sleeping bags and lined them up. He then wrote a letter to his pastor explaining why he had to kill them. He then leaves and isn't heard from again. 18 years later he's remarried and doing the same job as before but, this time he doesn't have any children. He's finally arrested after a tip was given to the FBI. Crazy thing is that because he planned it so well, the bodies weren't discovered until a month after the murders so he had a huge head start and essentially started a new life in the same career and was heavily involved in a new church down in Virginia. Took 18 years to capture him. I once heard a property was abandoned, and it was all over school that it was haunted. My friends and I decided to drive up to take a look at it one night it sat on a few dozen acres. There was no fence and no signs prohibiting access, and all we had to do was take a dirt road for a mile to get to a hill that overlooked the whole property. Turns out it was abandoned but still owned, and had a caretaker. The caretaker literally drove a truck with the lights off right up to us and then turned them on and tried to ram us. We were able to avoid him but he then followed us at 60 miles an hour off his property back onto the road, then into an 
past a residential neighborhood, trying to ram us off the road the whole way. My car and his truck narrowly avoided hitting houses, parked cars, and narrowly missed driving straight into a church before he stopped and turned around. I know I was on his property. But there were no signs and no barriers, and we were just on the edge of it. That he chased us way past his property and tried to kill us multiple times, and probably felt justified because we were trespassing, still gives me the chills. People are capable of anything if they feel justified in their violence. In my town in the early 90s there was a notorious killer that had all of because, Canada on watch, my wife's mother years and years before I knew them had been home alone while her husband was in England doing tree surgeon work arborist. She was in her laundry room when a man walked up from her basement, completely scaring her. She freaked out and said what the hell are you doing here? He said he was friends with her husband and was just coming to see if he was here. Apparently he told him he could just walk in, which she knew was bullshit. She was smart enough to tell him that he was just at the store and would be back any minute. He said he would wait outside for him. As soon as he left she called the police, but he was long gone by the time they got here. Two weeks later, the killer was caught, his mugshot put on TV and it was the guy in her house. Edit the guy's name was Terry Driver. My family has a similar story and I'm pretty sure some of you serial killer buffs out there might figure out who it is before the reveal because their story is pretty unique. When my parents were in college they went on a trip down to Florida. They had met through mutual friends and were down there together but hadn't gone on a date yet. My dad and one of his friends were planning to meet my mom and some of her friends at a hotel but being the carefree college guys they were they lost track of time and realized it was impossible to get to the hotel on time by walking. They decided the best solution to their problem was to hitchhike and a car with two women picked him up. Everything seemed fine until the driver asked them if it was okay to stop for gas. My dad and his friend agreed it was no problem since they were making good time and she drove into a gas station. She then pumped her car full of gas before hopping back in and flooring it, basically stealing the gas with two hitchhikers in the back. My dad and his friend were beginning to freak out when she pulled a gun from under her seat and asked are we gonna have a problem or something like that. My dad and his friend shook their heads vehemently because what else do you do in that situation? She then drove them to the hotel and dropped them off without so much as a scratch and they kinda thought nothing of it until the news started reporting on a serial killer in Florida known as Aileen Warnos. He took one look at her picture and instantly recognized her as the driver. The only reason my dad thinks she didn't straight up kill them was because they were super polite and respectful to her and her victims were usually scumbag guys trying to take advantage of her. TLDR Aileen Warnos is the reason my dad got to his first date with mom on time. Edit spelling. I'll tell you one that happened to me. Or rather, I was witness to. One night, I was out at a bar with a friend I was visiting in New Rochelle, NY. We went outside for a cigarette, and a car came flying past the bar. The car burned through a red light, and started going up this hill that was on a curve. We watched as he veered over the dull yellow, and smashed head on with another car coming from the other direction. Both cars hind ends lifted up, then slammed down. The car that was driving correctly burst into flames. I ran inside and grabbed the fire extinguisher, then yelled to the bartender to call 911 and say there has been an accident. My friend, a few other patrons, and me ran to the cars. Now, I used to think this was a fictional trope. But I was pretty drunk before this happened, and I swear it sobered me up instantly. I tried spraying the fire, but it did nothing. The fumes and heat were awful, and all we could do was stand back. The worst part was, and this will haunt me forever, was that the woman in the burning car was screaming as she died. My god, it was the worst sound ever. The fire department came and put the fire out. The police took us back to the bar and took statements. I found out the next day in the news, that the car that was not speeding was being driven by a young woman coming home late from work. She was a block away from home, and I think she was either newly married or a 
a new mother, the rotten mother ducker. Driving the other car was some rich drunk cocksucker. He lost a leg, but otherwise was physically unharmed. I have no clue if he did time, as I left to go back home a day or so later. I am trying to find a link for the news story. But I can't. As this was maybe 6 or 7 years back. I remember it being reported on Lohout and Channel 12 News. This is probably the thing that freaks me out the most. The entire randomness of it and yet it is fairly common. I work as a firefighter and have seen plenty of drunk driver cause deaths. Rarely. I have a quick mini freak in my head while I am driving. But then I convince myself it probably won't happen to me happened to me, had posted about it before. I was around 11 years old and I woke up in the middle of the night to a man straddled on top of me with his hand over my mouth and nose. He told me to roll over and not scream. I rolled onto the floor and tried to scream bloody murder I say tried cause when you are truly terrified it can take a second to find your voice. My mom heard me screaming and came in and fought with the guy. He was at least 6 feet she was 5 feet 3 and scared him enough with the fighting and screaming that he took off out the window he had come in through. Never did catch him was working the evening shift at a gas station. Man comes in all disoriented. I go to help him out. He has a gash on his head and doesn't know where he was. I couldn't see any crashes around so assumed he had fallen or something. Normally we are supposed to stay inside the glass shielded register area whenever anyone is in the store. I, being a nice human being, went to help while calling the police EMS. They got there and checked him out. They thought his head may have been fractured. Took him to the emergency room. I went back to work. Cops stopped back by for some coffee a few hours later. They told me the guy got hit by a baseball bat trying to break into a little girl's bedroom and was wanted for rape and murder in two other states. I never left the register area at night again. In third grade a guy came to our school and held our class hostage. He had already killed his wife and was there to kill his kid. The administrators convinced him the kid was not there and to take one of their cars and leave after threatening to kill us multiple times, tying up the gym teacher, and dragging someone's grandma around with a knife at her neck. He finally left about 30 minutes later. The police caught him in Indiana on his way to kill his parents. He was convinced the world was ending and he was killing everyone he loved to spare them. The school did worse than nothing. They lied to parents and no assistance was given to either the kid or teachers involved. The gym teacher never came back and every time she would see one of the kids at the store or whatever she had a breakdown. Several of us have PTSD, undiagnosed, for decades. We just thought it was normal. In the 70s the Chicago public school system was more concerned about their jobs and lawsuits. So they covered it up. My brother's ex-GF had two older sisters they died before she was born. One day they decided to play hide and seek or something. So anyway, they both climbed inside a chest and accidentally locked themselves in. They suffocated. Thanks for watching. Don't leave before leaving a like to this video. Also hit the subscribe button to support my work. And as always, have a horrific nightmare my dear.